Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful New York City, where I rightfully belong, uh, with a special guest. And I know that every time I have a guest, I pretty much say it's a special guest, right? But in this case, I think we can use every form of the word special <laughs> to describe our guest, the one and only Joe Stapleton here in my apartment. In this case, it is uh, <laughs> it is a guest who is special. Yes, kind of extra special. You, you can take off the helmet. Anyway, um, Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. The helmet's only so that my uh, mind-reading mutant brother can't find out where I am, so I have to leave it on. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I love doing podcasts. Fair enough. So um, I wanted to start off with a story. You guys know Joe Stapleton. He's been on ESPN. He does commentary for uh, Poker Stars, EPT, like you, know, you name it. He is like one of the, I would say, one of the most recognizable voices uh, in poker. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a thrill to have you on the show. And I, I thought we could start off with, because it's kind of an interesting story of how you and I met. So do you even remember? It's been a long time. I, I actually, I absolutely remember because in my mind, it was a big break in yeah. my career was meeting you. It's like one <laughs> of those stories that I'll always remember. Now, maybe I'll get it wrong, but I moved to New York City thinking I would do tons of stand up and I got here and I was living in New Jersey and it was such a pain in the butt to come back and forth for open mics that I was like, I'm just going to try to like suss out some mics ahead of time. Then I just went on, I think it's Bratislava, right? And all the open mics are. <laughs> And I just randomly emailed one and uh, said, hey, man, uh, I'm just trying to figure out what the deal is with this open mic. If you can give me information, I know it's annoying. Can you just let me know what's up? Yeah. So now let me tell this story from my perspective, because you got it right. You got it right. But now you guys got to understand, like Joe Stapleton kind of got his start in poker um, doing a podcast a million years ago called Poker Road. Poker Road Radio, I think was actually what it was called. And I was a huge fan. You know, I've been in poker my whole life. And when podcasts first started, the only podcast that I could find that was worth listening to that was about poker was Poker Road Radio. Joe was the host. Um, Joe Seabach, Gavin Smith, Ali Najad, like, you know, a lot of the who's who of poker. Barry Greenstein was part of this. And I literally spent probably a thousand hours listening to the voice of Joe Stapleton and others on Poker Road Radio. So this seemingly seemingly innocuous email that I get about the open mic that I used to be in charge of at New York Comedy Club here in Manhattan from some aspiring comedian from L.A. who had just moved to New York and wanted to try to get on stage was signed Joseph Stapleton. And I was like, I responded back, you wouldn't happen to be the same Joseph Stapleton that was on my favorite podcast for so many years. And it turned out he was. So, um, yeah, tell him how that became a, a break. Uh, it was a huge break because Clayton said, you don't have to do an open mic. Just have a spot at a comedy club in New York City. And I was like, okay. You're like, no, I, I suck. You don't understand. I'm brand new. I'm not, I'm not a comedian. I was like, you, you're going to do great. Because I knew he was funny because I had always laughed at him. 
uh, on the Poker Road show. And so that was kind of the beginning of our friendship. And now we've done commentary together. We've done tons of comedy together. We even did a show with Norm MacDonald together in uh, the Bahamas that you guys know I talked about here on the podcast back in January. And uh, now you're in New York. And what brings you to the city this time, my friend? I'm just chasing Norm MacDonald, honestly. <laughs> I was working in Barcelona, just got done with the EBT Barcelona. And given that I knew Norm had some gigs in Atlantic City and Baltimore, I felt like if I flew to New York and was just here and I could pressure him into putting me on stage during those two gigs. So I still haven't gotten an official answer yet, but I'm literally just sitting here waiting by the phone to see if Norm will put me on in Atlantic City. I'm well, I hope that works out for you, Joe. Well, they do say that 90% of show business is uh, showing up. So uh, you're definitely doing that. You're showing up. So... Don't know if you're invited or not, but you're showing up exactly. either way. <laughs> totally uninvited. And also, I think when they mean showing up, they don't necessarily mean like taking a transatlantic flight and getting off a plane 4,000 miles away from your actual home. Right. But hey, well, we're taking a gamble. Yeah. And in fairness, uh, you have to kind of stop in New York on your way home from Barcelona anyway, right? There's no direct flights. Are there? None. Nope. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, not yeah, a so single you, one. You got to come here anyway. You might as well just spend an extra week. Um, yeah. Well, I, I hope this plan uh, succeeds for you. Um, yeah, so you are traveling the world with, with poker stars. Tell the people what that's like. I'm sure many people uh, would have wondered what it would be like to do poker commentary like on the level that you do. Well, it's, it's died down quite a bit. There's not as many events anymore worldwide. Um, in fact, at the moment, I don't, I don't know if there are any live-streamed events planned beyond uh, before PSPC2, which is a year from now in Barcelona. Um, hopefully some things pop up between now and then, but things have kind of uh, slowed down on the streaming front from stars at least. Uh, however, previously I've been all over the world in Europe, mostly, uh, yeah, from poker stars. And it was, it was pretty exciting to uh, the point where you were actually based in England for a while. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's when I moved here and hit you up. I just, my compromise was I really wanted to move back to America and they wanted me to still be close to London. So the compromise was I moved to New York so I could fly in and out easily. And I did a lot that first year. Uh, yeah, I remember. It was like, uh, we want to have lunch. And you're like, well, I'm going to France or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it'd be like London and France and back to London. And then here I'd be gone for like two to four weeks at a time. Um, yeah, so people, it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, after a while, it... Uh, it started just to be a commute like anything else though, especially given that, you know, Clayton, that if you don't build extra time into your schedule when you're on poker trips, the inside of the casino at Borgata looks the same as the inside of the casino in Barcelona as the inside of the casino in Berlin. So what I say for people who think that my job might've been gla glamorous, all I really ever did was drink bathroom water, bathroom, <laughs> bathroom sink water in different hotels around the world. Like at some point during every trip, I would wake up in the middle of the night, be all out of water and just go to the bathroom sink and start splashing it into my mouth. Like that is, that is the, that is like quintessentially what my career has been. What an image. I mean, you know, in every hotel in the world, not right? glamorous, not glamorous at all. Just me <laughs> slurping water. <laughs> Out of a hotel bathroom sink. You're really ruining this for people. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Well, I know one thing, um, and you know, we spoke to David Tuckman on this show as well. Um, 
when when you go to a country to do commentary, you might think that you're going to get to do a lot of sightseeing and really get to know the place. But, you know, many times these streams last so many hours that by the time it's done, you really do just want to get back to that hotel and drink some water. Talkman and I uh, did a gig in Montenegro. We did the Triton Poker. Uh, I forget what it was called, but Triton from Montenegro. And it was this beautiful resort on the side of a mountain but that was also on water at the same time. It was, like, incredible. It was like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. And... Uh, I went outside exactly zero times. Um, I did not... I, sorry, I shouldn't say... It, I went outside once. I went on the patio of the buffet breakfast and like looked at the sky for about 10 seconds. I was like, well, i got to get back in comedy. Back to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that does happen. There are some people who are disciplined. You're probably like this, actually. Who will, when your only free time is between like 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Who will get up at 8 a.m. and go see something and do something from 8 to 11 a.m.? I've never been that person. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on how late we got done streaming. Like, I might have the desire to do that, but sometimes your body just says, look, stay in bed. You know, there were many times uh, this summer in Vegas even, because, you know, I did a full schedule this summer. I think I played 32 tournaments. Must have been nice. (laughs) (laughs) I think I played like 32 tournaments. It was really busy. And, uh, you know, when I did have a rare day off, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go hike Red Rock no. and get up early, you know, go for a walk and go, maybe go do some sightseeing. I want to go see the Mob Museum. Like, there's a lot of things in Vegas I've never done things, yeah. that are supposed to be really cool. But, you know, it's just I was so beat down from all the poker. I was just like, I think I'm just going to sleep until like 2 p.m., maybe go to the pool. And then uh, probably go play some poker. <laughs> so there was one time in Prague where I scheduled an extra day because I'd never actually seen anything in Prague. It was like my fourth time there. Everyone talks about the Christmas markets, how beautiful Prague is in the winter. I'd never been to do any of it, and I scheduled an extra day. And I literally stayed in bed till it got dark. <laughs> it was like 4.30 p.m., right? Which is well, sure, like, yeah. And I played Candy Crush. That's what I did with my extra day in Prague. I was just the absolute worst. So I just stopped even pretending to want to do those things. And now, as you know, now you want to get home. You miss your family. You miss your friends. You you know, do you have the freedom to stay an extra two days? Is it always worth it? Not really. You want to, I mean, I would rather go to the same bar in my neighborhood with my best friends than go to some bar in Old Town, Czech Republic by myself. Totally. Yeah. That's one thing. You know, I learned this at a very young age. My first, I guess, job job was, uh, I played bass on a cruise ship oh, when I was like 20 years old and I, I'm did out. It, did it pay well? It paid okay. I had to share a room with somebody. Uh, um, but you know, the thing is I didn't have any rent. Have so much sex. On <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I, had a, I had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I got to see really beautiful, exotic places. And we went through the Caribbean, went through the Mediterranean. I'm 20 years old, traveling on a cruise ship meeting people from all over the world, seeing the world. There's something really sad about doing that alone yeah. and not having someone that you love with you. No one imagines, well, I shouldn't say no one, but it's a rare person that imagines going to like the most beautiful places on earth by himself. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So there's something about that, you know, like if you're in Prague for an extra day, but it's someone still work, you can appreciate yeah. it. Right? I appreciate the job, but people are always like, have fun on your vacation. And I'm like, it's not a vacation. And they're like, have fun in Barcelona. And I don't want to be a dick, but sometimes if I'm in the wrong mood, I'll go, it's, 
It's not the kind of trip you think it is. Yeah. It's still work. Can you be grateful for that job? Is it, does it beat digging ditches? Does it beat doing 99.9% .9 of the jobs in the rest of the world? Absolutely. It's wonderful. But it's not a vacation. But does it beat doing stand-up comedy? Because this is what I've wondered about you. You are very active in both the poker commentary and the stand-up comedy worlds. So does it beat doing stand-up comedy? Not, not even close. And only because of this, stand-up comedy is you and only you. If you do, if I do something really wrong on a poker stream, it doesn't affect just me. It affects lots of people, right? If I say something stupid, if I say something that's incorrect, if I insult someone, I'm not the only person. I'm, I get a lot of the, bear a lot of the responsibility for that, but it doesn't just affect me. There are people whose jobs are on the line based on how good or bad I am. All the way down to the person who hired you. What'd you hire this guy for? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just, you know, so... Or poor James. He has to bail you out all the time. James Hardigan, your usual co-host on the on the Poker Stars stuff. Yeah, and James has probably rescued me on more times than I can count. Um, so my bosses, my coworkers, I'm representing a company. And it's, a, it, it's an honor to have that job. But a lot of my energy, and I don't know if you find the same thing when you're streaming, but the more... Um, sensitive that companies get, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, okay? I don't really have that strong of an opinion one way or another about it, but the more careful I have to be about what I say, it's actually exhausting. It's exhausting to think of something, process it in my brain. Is this, is this going to offend anyone? Is this going to hurt business? Is this going to insult poker players? Is this going to be good for poker, bad for poker? All of that I have to think about and then blurt it out onto screen onto stream, that actually takes a lot of energy. It's hard to filter an improvised joke through all those channels and still make sure it's funny and, and also just even make sure that you're being understood. Like sometimes we make a joke because we know what we're saying. Like a, a big part of doing comedy is communicating the funny idea that's in your head, having it come out of your mouth in a way the audience is going to understand it. And that's hard enough. That's hard enough, exactly. Yeah, without yeah. having to put the, the filter on it and say, well, should I also consider whether this is going to reflect poorly on the on the business or, you know, on Poker Stars or on ESPN or whatever else you're doing? I, I had a thing happen in Barcelona. There was a guy at the table who um, was a very young guy who had like what I thought was a goofy mustache. And I was like, ah, this looks like a guy that used to get beat up in high school. Now he has a mustache to try to look hard. And one person out there in Twitter land really had um, an issue with this and said that I shouldn't be uh, tearing down, tearing people down during the broadcast. And then what ended up happening was your a good friend of yours, actually, and Tom Wig got involved and was like, I didn't see it, but this sounds pretty bad, Joe. And I was like. What are you doing, man? You didn't see it? Like, welcome to Twitter. Like, you're you're commenting on something you didn't even see? And and so, like, this is, to me, is, like, one of the most innocuous jokes I could make. Did I goof on a guy? Okay, I goofed on his mustache. Did I say anything bad about him? No. Like, even if... I was like, what what, ex what exact insult did I... Did I say this guy? Say it. Say it out loud. What did I say? What did I say? I didn't say he was ugly. I didn't say he was stupid. I just said... He looks like he got picked on in high school and grew a mustache to try to look hard. So even when you're putting these things through filters, and then there are people that will say, well, you shouldn't be trying to be funny anyway. Yeah, well, that's great because they hire a comedian to do commentary 
and then somebody out there thinks that that comedian is supposed to be not funny. So, all right, great. You can't please everybody. No, and the good news is this. It's very few and far between. Most people get the shtick. Most people appreciate me. Most people, even the pro poker players who don't love my analysis, understand what I'm trying to do out there. So even though there are little instances where this happens, it's really the vast, vast minority of people who are who are sort of uh, giving me a hard time about, but it is exhausting. It's a lot of work because it's live. Yeah. You know, it's live. I'm going to get things wrong. And especially uh, if you're trying to be funny, you know that you're going to fail a lot of being funny. You're going to throw a lot at the wall before something sticks. Well, I think that what's missing a lot, and we are going to talk about poker, but I need to get into this a little bit because I think this is really key, like kind of in life in general right now. Intent used to be so important. And now I feel like people are so sensitive and so ready to like get you, Mm -hmm. right? It's gotcha culture, right? So they want to get you that your intent is no longer even being considered. It's like, did you say this or not? Or like Anton, you know, Anton's one of my best friends, so I don't know why he jumped in if he hadn't watched it, but maybe he was just being honest. I didn't see it, but it does look bad. Yeah. Maybe giving you a chance to kind of like Sure, but explain I was dug yourself. in. I was never going to, I was completely dug in. Like there's right. just, I, you know, and I'm very stubborn. I have my own, I'm one of those people on the internet that has a hard time admitting when they're wrong. Like I will freely admit to that. But I think you hit the nail on the head where I got in an argument this week with Daniel Negreanu and a, a music, one of the most famous music video directors in the world, Joseph Kahn, who is also a poker fan, and about PC culture and about the Chappelle special. Yeah, I jumped in on that argument a little bit too yes, myself. Yes, you did, yeah. and I totally agreed with you. And I just think that there are so many people who are championing this special specifically because it flies in the face of PC culture and not because it's funny. Now, if it's funny, great. I don't care. I don't think PC culture is really the problem. I think gotcha culture is the problem. I think that that's a slightly different thing. And I love that you just said that because it's not a lot of the time about PC culture because PC is, in my opinion, is just people who finally have a voice. People who have their, raise their hand and go, I I don't think trans jokes are funny. Like, that's okay. (laughs) That's That's, okay. That's all right with me that I don't, I don't feel that particularly hampered by PC culture as a comedian. On stage, I've never, very rarely had people bug me over stuff I've said on stage. But the problem is with gotcha culture, it's because stuff gets on the internet and it lives there for li- forever and it lives there with no context. No context. And even like the context... And no intent. And no intent. So it's, without context, the intent can't be clarified and it just looks like a, a guy saying something mean about somebody's mustache. Where if we put it in context, it's like... Joe Stapleton made a joke in the moment on a live stream where he didn't really get a chance to like really consider all the potential ramifications of the joke or whatever. And, you know, is it the best joke you've ever written? Of course not, but God, no. <laughs> no, but it's fine. It's like, you know, you, you're supposed to just kind of, you know, spitball. I and mean, that's part of the job of the color guy on a commentary situation. And, uh, yeah, it's we have to be careful what we say. Now, as you know, I've done some color commentary. Sure. I'd like to do more of that as much as you'd like to do more stand-up. So if you want to just like Freaky Friday and trade careers for a that'd while, and I'll go to Barcelona, and you can do all my stand-up that'd be, gigs. That would be, be great. super fun. <laughs> well, as long as we're getting on the subject of commentary, I don't know how long we have before we have to get in the hands, but you know, it's pretty uh, pretty competitive commentary market right now. There's a lot of us out there. And we're being forced to fight 
to the death yeah. by the most famous person in poker. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're talking about for sure is the brackets, the Sweet 16 style brackets that no one signed up for that uh, the aforementioned Daniel Negreanu just decided to start having Twitter poll wars. Do you hate this person? No. Do you love this person more than you love that person? Which one is your favorite on-air commentator? And, I mean, a lot of people jumped on him for this. What do you think? Now, you're friends with Daniel. Yeah. What do you think he was going for, and why do you think it backfired? Well, I think in his mind it didn't backfire. I think that Daniel is pretty much impervious to criticism at this point. And <laughs> again, even, you know, things are lost in translation on the internet. Things are lost in translation between friends on the internet, too. If I'd been sitting with Daniel in his living room when he came up with this idea, I'd be like, this is stupid. Don't do this. This is very dumb. And then when he did it, I'd be like, you're an idiot. Now, if I write to him on Twitter and say, you're an idiot, that's a whole different type of feeling than sitting in his living room and being Daniel stop being an idiot because it's more public right I mean it's more public but it also just doesn't read the same if I was on a podcast with Daniel if he was here right now I'd be like Daniel stop being an idiot come on but if I was if I said it to him on Twitter it just feels different right well you can have that sort of banter back and forth with your friends when you're in the same room with them and on the internet it just doesn't work that way um so I don't I don't know what his purpose was other than just to be entertained for a little bit. And that's kind of what it was. It was like a sort of lame gladiator match where folks were put up. There's no prize. There's no prize except for his entertainment, I think. And then also, you know, he tried to say that, Oh, constructive criticism is good. Or this is something you can learn from. It's like, I don't really know what I learned from losing to Norman Chad by four percentage points or whatever the F it was. You know exactly what the F it was. 4.638 percentage points. I think it was less. I think it was <laughs> I think it was like 51.48 or 52.40. I don't know. My point is you did look at it to see what kind at, of score you but got. But I didn't want to look at it. Right. I would rather not know. Um, and I'd never actually, <laughs> my Twitter app doesn't do polls. So I actually never saw, when he published the answers, yes. Oh, um, that's so interesting. So I actually didn't follow How can along. I get that? Uh, app it's Tweetbot. It's oh, Tweetbot. Okay, cool. And it's just, it's actually a flaw that doesn't do polls. Right, but yeah. um, in this case, it really worked out for me. Um, but I was getting tagged in replies, a lot of replies. And what I liked least about it, which I eventually tweeted, was that it was a competition that I didn't want to win and I didn't want to lose. Oh, well said. Yeah, because there's no real winner in this competition. Right. It's like somebody's going to be like, oh, more people voted for me. I kind of feel bad for the other guy. And I also didn't want to be in this competition. I mean, there's another side of the coin that I can see, though, which is any of us who are in the public eye, just by being in the public eye, are always in some kind of competition to, you know, in some in some sense of the word, right? Like we're open to criticism. We have to be subject to criticism. If somebody doesn't like my comedy or if they hate this podcast or putting ourselves out there. Right. And so we can't try to then shield ourselves, which is why I didn't put up any public resistance to it. I was like, I wasn't going to argue with Daniel. Daniel wants to do this. I am part of the public eye, whatever, whatever. No big deal. I did eventually say, I don't love being a part of this, yeah. but again, it's not something that like affects me and Daniel's friendship. I don't like it, but I, you know, I'm not upset about it at all. I didn't see the point in it. Well, if somebody's Twitter poll affects your friendship with him, then you weren't really friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? If some guy puts up yeah. a Twitter poll, and that's going to ruin your friendship. But like, but like, I would probably 
if you were like pitting me against like who, which comedian do you like better, me or someone else? I'd be like, what, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why? Are, I don't understand it. But I think both of your friends might feel that way. Of um, course, yeah, yeah. So, um, I lost my train. Daniel of has a responsibility <laughs> as a guy with how many millions of oh, Twitter followers, right? That, yeah. So. What I want to say is, it used to be that if you're in the public eye, right, you signed up for this, right? Now, but that that came with a certain amount of fame and fortune. Now you can be relatively well known and not that famous and not that rich. So like for me, like I don't feel like I get compensated enough to take like a public beating on Twitter <laughs> because like I don't have any money. Like I'm not rich. It used to be like, yeah, if you want to like say like who's your favorite cast of member of Seinfeld, like I'll make you a million dollars an episode. Like go for yeah. it. Like have a good time. But like I'm still I'm still like in like a, the the tax bracket where like <laughs> you know I get a lot. I don't have to pay that much, so I don't make any money. And. Yeah, by the same token, like if we all want to criticize Chappelle's special and say, I don't like that he made this joke or he sounds like a grumpy old man because he's talking about this and he's complaining about trans things and whatever. Chappelle's got how many hundreds of millions in right. the bank? Like he he's signed up for criticism. Like if we want to say that baseball players shouldn't complain that they have to travel when they're making 20 million a year okay like that's very I, different i don't know what the dollar amount is on that but i do feel like you know that the especially look and again i fared fairly well in those polls they put me up against norman chad who is arguably the greatest and best poker commentator of all time he's iconic yeah, yeah. and and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Without Norman Chad, there would be no Joe Stapleton. Um, but there are people in that poll who did not fare as well. And I feel genuinely bad for those people because they work way less than I do. Um, and maybe they shouldn't. I'm just saying that they don't have the, the reach or the exposure. Like, you know, totally. if you notice the people that did well in those, it was people that are on the biggest stages in the entire world. Like I've never done the world series of poker. Like I've never hit that audience. I mean, I have as a sideline reporter, but never as a commentator. Right. You and didn't I, like do the stream of the, yeah. Right. And in your case, right? Like you were not included, right? Well, they, he actually listed me. They were going to do like two brackets of just poker podcasts. Okay. Right. That's how many of us there are now. So I was going to be in a category of favorite poker podcaster. And then it just didn't, he stopped it. I think, yeah. Daniel right. shut it down before he was like, that. Actually. I grow tired of this. Yes, he's grown. <laughs> he decided to bring in a new jester to entertain right, exactly. him. <laughs> he's like, now, now Chad Holloway will fight a lion. That's great <laughs> for everyone who knows who Chad Holloway is. They just spit out their beer. Um, that's amazing. I'd love to see him fight a lion. Um, all right, so. Yeah, enough about Daniel. And it, but it is important to kind of see what's going on out there because we're in a world like I think the poker world is similar to the com the comedy world. So in, similar. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But one of the key ways for me is that it's a bunch of lone wolves, like renegade types, who decided to not follow the path. Like if you play that board game life and like you can go this way and go to college and go like do this like normal path or you can go over this other way and see what happens. I feel like all the poker players went this other, like the road less traveled. And so we don't think like other people. We don't accept things as fact as quickly as other people do. Like we tend to question things more and you know, obviously comedians are even more extreme 
in that generally speaking you know comedians it's all questioning yeah it's the whole job is you know why is the sky blue you know and how can i make that funny you know so uh yeah but you know you do have you have a really good point in that when you're doing commentary you got to think about so much more than just being funny and theoretically at least when you're doing stand-up you can just think about being funny but i would even put an asterisk there and say that I try to think about how I can be funny to this audience. Yes. So the the line that each audience has is going to be different. You know, like that show we did with Norm Macdonald in the Bahamas, the whole audience was the poker stars players, right? right. Everyone that was there for the PCA, right? So uh, we could do certain things knowing how those people think and, and what the general mindset of a poker player is. We could kind of... Do, and obviously we could do jokes specifically related to poker that maybe like a typical crowd at the at the comedy store wouldn't even understand and we could just we all and we all did and that was pretty fun I thought um, but yeah I think when you're when you're doing a commentary you're, you got to think about it yeah you're, you're, you're if you if you want to equate it to being an artist right where most things in entertainment are in more or less an art right yeah, in some way yeah. right. Uh, poker, your canvas is very small. Mm-hmm. You're very small, and you're using fine brushes, and you need to make a very detailed thing on a very small canvas. Another reason why I prefer stand-up is the canvas is huge. You can talk about anything. Yes, the canvas is enormous, and even though maybe the particular audience or two may shrink that canvas a little bit, it's not going to be as small as that poker canvas. Because yeah. even though I will absolutely veer off poker every chance I get when I'm doing commentary, there's still a limit to that. There's still a limit to the universe in which I can try to make people funny. And I always make things funny. And I always have to come back to that canvas eventually. Yeah, just leave the guy's mustache alone, you know? I know. I just am Why are you so a, mean? Such a bad person. Why are you such a bully? That's <laughs> a bully. Someone did call me a bully. <laughs> You're not the one who beat him up in high no, school. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, I think you do a great job. Uh, I think you... You know, I'm not saying I would vote you ahead of Norman Chad. I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. No, but that's exact. That's exactly I why I hated the poll. Because you guys are both great. Because why do I have to pick exactly? One? Like, why does like when someone goes, hey, "Stapes, I'm real sorry, but I got to vote for Norman." I'm like, I get it. Like, yeah. I totally get it. What I don't need is to know about it. Yeah, it's fine. It's like it's as though you and Norm got divorced. You and Norman Chad got divorced, and now we have to pick one of you to be friends with now. But I will. I want to love both of you. Is that okay? I would love to be. The butt of one of Norman's ex-wife jokes. <laughs> well, I'm that trying to make that happen now. That's an honor for me. It's like when I used to be married to Stapes. <laughs> that would that would be uh, pretty epic. So, you know, I was checking out your uh, stream when you were out there in Barcelona. I thought you did a great job, your usual great job. But there was one thing that happened that I found pretty interesting, which uh, I noticed you didn't use the word angle shoot, but what, you know the hand I'm talking about. Yeah, right? Look, I, I'm, yeah. I'm confident it, I'm, I'm going to say it's angly. Okay, angly. Um, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I would even go as far as to say an angle was shot. Okay. Um, but I think that when you use angle shoot or angle shooter, it again, intention, it sort of um, implies a certain intention in the actions. And even though I, I think that there probably was some intention i can't say for sure so at least live and in the moment i tried to avoid using that especially because once before james and i questioned we said was this an angle shoot and our friend dave tuckman went bananas on his podcast like you shouldn't be using that language i think he said james was a disgrace or something like that it was really 
went over the top going yeah. after James. I, uh, Talkman and I are very close. He tends to overstate things. He is, he is so uh, hyperbolic. Like he just sort of get goes off the deep end sometimes because he's, he's a, trying to entertain too. Yeah, so. and, and it works for him. He's very entertaining. We love you, Tuck. But yeah, I mean, a disgrace. I, I don't know if that was, but it was something. It was something yeah. very harsh like yeah. that. So, um, so in this particular hand, there was a guy in the tank. He had been, I think, three bat with pocket six. His last hand before the break. So there's only two guys sitting at the table, and he sits there for a while and he sort of riffles his chips and counts out the call. And then he decides he's going to fold. He starts to push his cards forward. And right as he does, his opponent looks back at his hand. And at this moment, this guy's last name was Zhu, says, oh, no, 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 and pulls his cards back. So there was clear, now I watched this, and there was clear forward motion. Now, I mean, I know that every card room has a different rule about forward motion. Like in L.A., if there's any forward motion at all, if your cards go past your chips in almost every card room in LA your hand is dead right because you've made a motion towards there's no betting line so they have to just go by the motion now as I recall in Barcelona they didn't have like a literal betting line line. on the table so you're moving your cards forward why did the dealer not take those cards do you think so the dealer did try to take those take the cards he pulled his hand back and now our um, tournament director came and reviewed it and said the dealer did exactly what she was supposed to do. Maybe the floor should have been called. Other than that, that the forward motion rule, from what I understand, is uh, if he does not actually release the cards, he can take them back. So how far forward can I push them without releasing them and then take them back? That's that, my thing. Can I extend my arm completely out, like almost touching the muck, and then pull them all the way back? I didn't let go. That's a great question, and I don't know. Now, I, I believe what the tournament director said, and I can't quote this because it was happened behind closed doors. Right. I'm hearing this third hand. I believe what he said was, had the floor been called, he would have been given a warning. But still gotten to keep his hand. Yes, would have gotten to keep his hand, yes. Um, and so, I found that the, the, the occasions uh, in which a floor person will actually kill a live hand is pretty never. rare. It's yeah, very, it's very, very rare. rare. Yeah. Very, very rare. So, um, so the our, our TD was happy with the way that that the dealer handled it. Um, in, Why didn't the dealer call the floor, or should, who should have called the floor? I think the dealer probably should have co- called the floor in that case. You can see it's an interesting situation, though, and we discussed this before, Clayton. And that now the guy with the ace king, it's probably on him to call the floor. But I would never want to call the floor in that situation because I don't want to influence the action one way or the other. I don't want to give away. If I call the floor, does that make me look weak? Does that make me look strong? There are some people out there, and I hate to pull a Trump on this one, but people are saying that if you watch the video closely, that our guy, our villain in this situation, is actually looking at our other player's hole cards when he peels them back. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily true, but he does absolutely look at where the cards are on the table. He's looking in that direction. He's looking in that direction. Yeah, so I thought he was... I didn't know if he... I mean, it's your job to protect your hand. So if he flipped his cards up in a way that his opponent could see, that's on him. Um, Still kind of, you know, a little bit angly, to use your word, to, like, take a look. But still, like, that's... You have to protect your hand at all times. That's that player's responsibility. I got the feeling that he was trying to get a read on his opponent, so whether he was looking at the guy's hands or trying to peek at his cards or whatever it was. So let's compromise and say that's what it was, right? Like, let's eliminate the straight-up looking at the dude's cards. Right. Now, 
as far as I'm concerned with this, there are a lot of people that were, I was tagged in a tweet by Poker Stars. What do you think of this hand? And lots of people are like, he's cheating. He's scum of the earth. He should be banned from the casino. He should have been disqualified from the tournament. I don't think that even if you're angle shooting, I don't think it's the same as cheating. I think that it is still within the rules of the game. Is it sportsmanlike? Is it ethical? Whatever you want to call it. No. But there are some poker purists that think you do what you got to do to get the information, to get an edge on your opponent. I'm not encouraging it. I would never do it. Do I think you deserve a warning for it? Sure. Do I think you should be disqualified or barred from a casino for it? Absolutely not. Not on, your, not on a first offense. If you become a habitual angle shooter, maybe. Well, over the summer, we had Jen Shahadi on, and she talked about a hand where her opponent made a really large overbet, presumably by, quote-unquote, accidentally grabbing the wrong denomination chips, like bet way too much, yeah. and immediately said, oops. Yeah. Almost like calling attention to the fact that he had put in the wrong amount, right? Like not a standard we race saw size this at in all. The EPT Grand Final back in Madrid, a guy did it multiple times, and what the tournament director eventually ended up doing was saying, "This guy's done this three times in this tournament. Every <laughs> every time he's had the nuts, play the hand, play the hand." <laughs> yeah. So in this case, the guy said, "Oops," and actually meant "Oops." Like he didn't have that strong a hand, and he just was kind of he, he messed up, and then. Still, you know, foolishly called attention to the fact that he had messed up. But Jen had to kind of calculate in her brilliant chess player mind, yeah. like, is this guy really saying oops or is this an oops that's designed to look like an oops or did he oops or not? You know, and so, so if, if he hadn't if he hadn't really meant oops, right, if he was faking the oops, should he be disqualified for the tournament for that? Is it cheating? Right. Is it cheating to grab way too many chips and pretend that you meant to grab a different denomination. I'm, of course, that's not cheating. Yeah, like it's not. In the is it scummy? Yeah, it's is like it a, angly? I think, I think scum's a little too. Uh, we overuse the word scum in general, I think. But yeah, yeah is it is it shady? Is it shady? Like, okay. Is it, um, right. Yeah, is it angly for sure? And do you feel there should be no consequences for angles? I don't feel like there should be none, but you can't disqualify a player. I don't think, and I don't think you can uh, also penalize them on a one-time thing because let's go back to intent right Right. what did he really mean to do and how can we prove that now it is seems like he did have a premeditated intent to do this it seems like it can i say for sure no is it possible that he went to push his cards forward and at the last second his opponent gave something away that made him think okay maybe i should play this hand and then pulled his cards back changed his mind changed his mind there's a difference between angle shooting and changing your mind which is why i think if the floor had come over and said you've been given a warning the next time you push your cards forward like that they're going into the muck that's perfectly reasonable or if you do it again and then play it we're going to give you a penalty also perfectly reasonable um in this case that guy was eliminated i think uh, it was either the last hand of the level or whatever it is the guy went broke the next day or whatever so it ended up not being an issue um right but that's results right what if he had won yes, the whole thing absolutely. then we'd be talking about it forever like Great would point. he so have won this tournament if he you know fortunately for everyone involved right. he doesn't end up like getting the trophy or whatever yeah no so um and and i i am somewhat grateful for angle shooting and angle shooters because it's interesting it gives us something extra to talk about and it's a fun hand to do yeah, we just did on. 10 minutes on it here exactly so <laughs> you know do would i ever do that would i um promote that sort of behavior no but when people do it like it's 
part of the game. It's I like, always think it's kind of funny. It's when... like plowing over a catcher at home plate, right? Like it's part of the game. It, it's do. Some people would never do it. Some people think it's great that you can run full speed into a catcher <laughs> and try to knock the ball out of his hand. They changed that rule. Oh, okay, yeah, or yeah. like, or or sliding Whatever, into yeah. sliding into a guy at yeah, second. Trying base. to break up the double play. Yeah, right, like yeah. you know, it's it's a dirty part of the game, but it is within the rules. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that, and you know, especially from a commentary standpoint, with the amount of time these players spend staring at each other, uh, it, it's nice to have something to talk about. <laughs> other than their mustaches. For sure. And everybody loves a villain, right? Like everybody, it was a gotcha moment for thousands of people on the internet to get to reply to that tweet and go, what a piece of shit. What a yeah. scumbag. What a, what a, you know, yeah. like g- good for them. Like everyone got a moment that they got to feel more morally superior to somebody. The racist comments that came through, those weren't that great. <laughs> those weren't a lot of racism. How does the racism always manage to find its way in? It's I, just amazing too, because there were at least four different nations at fault. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. <It's... laughs> maybe maybe whatever, the president's next ban should be on those four nations. Whatever, whatever <laughs> Asian nationality the racist person thought he was. So he was either a Korean or a Vietnamese or Chinese or Japanese. So I'm like, they can't all be at fault. <laughs> they can't. I mean, it's just not possible. Yeah. I mean... As you said before, Twitter is a special place. It's a little ugly. I know for me, like one thing that's like really improved my overall happiness is turning off notifications. So I don't have notifications. I give DM notifications on. That's it. And that's it. And that that's all I have too. Like and and I'm, my DMs are not open. So you have to follow me and get followed back to send me a message. Otherwise, I'd probably be getting like hate mail all day, every day. Yesterday, when I got off the plane from Barcelona, I had 183 at replies, and I was like, "This can't be good. It's never good. If I have that many, it's never like great job, Joe. Really no. enjoyed the stream. You've been, you've been, you've won the lottery, and everyone's congratulating you. So I was like, nope. Something you said really pissed off half the population. Good going. All right. Well, let's. Since you just got back from Barcelona. Uh, I, I asked you to remember some uh, particularly interesting hands, so you ready to get into it? Yeah, I want to talk about a particularly interesting player. This guy named Balakrishna Patur uh, went fairly deep in this event. He's an American guy? American guy, and he... I wanted to call him, if I could have got away with this on the air, I want to call him Balakrishna Button Clickur. <laughs> um, because he seemed like he was just mashing buttons out there. There's one part in commentary where I was like, this is me playing Street Fighter. Yeah, just um, on a whim, just kind of randomly. Clicking. Right, yeah. but I didn't want to not give him credit because I'll say this, he had the GTO players, he had their heads spinning and he got away with a lot and he played some hands that were absolutely wacky, but eventually he was like the people's champion. He was a guy that was just throwing caution to the wind and the pros could not figure him out. He's so. Queen win. Exactly, yeah. exactly. He was absolutely win. So what I did here is I'm, I've got you a hand for context. So I'll just okay. read from Poker News. So this one will just kind of set us up for the exactly. hand we're actually going to discuss. Right, right yeah. Right. This So you get a little context. All right. So this is uh, early on day five. All right. Which means we're at... We're uh, deep into the money by now. We're deep in the money. We're at like the final four tables. Yeah. And on day five, they play down, I think, from like... 27 to 16, uh, 27 to 6 yeah. players, okay? So here we go. Pasquale Brasco raised, I'll tell you what the, what the blinds were. 
Uh, the blinds were 30,000, 60,000. With that 60,000 big blind 60, ante. 60,000 right. big blind ante. And then, let's see here. I'm just trying to stacks were each of the player before the hand had uh, like over 80 big blinds. Okay, so okay. they're pretty deep. They're pretty yeah. deep. Especially for late in day five, that's... That's sorry, really sorry. Deep. No, no, they, they, they each, sorry, they each had uh, over 50 big blinds. Okay, They're that's In the 50 more. to 60 okay. big blind Great. range, sorry. Still, it's, it's, nobody's really short. Exactly. Yeah, that's important. Pasquale Bracco raises to 125,000 with king six of hearts from early position. Balakrishna Pratur picks up pocket nines in the cutoff, calls. Standard so far. Standard so far, <laughs> absolutely. The flop comes five tray deuce, rainbow. Brocco continues for 160,000. He's got king six, a gut shot, two over cards. Correct. That's totally fine for him to play that way. Pateur raises to 400,000. Okay, that's curious. All right. Brocco calls with, as you mentioned, the gut shot and the overcard. The turns the 10 of diamonds. So there's two diamonds on board now, but no paint still, no straight cards come with the turn. And a pure brick for Pasquale. Both players check. Okay, totally fine so far. The river brings the queen of clubs, and Brocco decides to bet 600000 Which is basically a defensive bet. He doesn't want to check and have to call because he's got king high. So he's basically just bluffing with king high. Pateur raises to $4.9 Okay. It's all in. He raises, he raises all in for $4.9 Okay, now you have nines, which is plenty of showdown value for the situation, especially as the cards happen to lie. Um, we've got a king high here that you're up against. So Correct. you don't know that, of course, but there's really no reason to raise with the queen and a 10 out there. Um, it's a very strange play. that You could be up against the stone cold nuts, for all you know. Um it's yeah. This is a wild play. Like I, mean, that's just okay. So we're getting a sense. Of, this is your context. This hand. is the context hand. So here's a guy that just made a huge raise with a hand that he could have easily called and won with. In fact, we know he would have won had he just called, but instead he shoved it all in. Okay, all right. It's pretty wild. Wild stuff there. Okay. Uh, new blinds level. Not very much later though. The now blind. we're going to do this one for real, right? Yeah, this one's for real. Okay, and in this so hand, so you're going to play the hand as Shannon Shore. Oh, okay. Against Balakrishna Button Clicker. Okay, so I'm Shannon Shore. I'm a very well-known, very accomplished tournament professional. Yes, very I, American. Very American. I study my GTO. I know how to play cards normally. I've probably noticed that this Balakrishna guy is all over the map, and I'm probably trying to figure out in my head how to adjust to him. Sounds about right. All right. Except that you're not playing a Shannon Shore. Sorry. Kali Sadu is also in the hand. I read this that's okay. Shannon Shore opens. All right, but he doesn't but end up getting involved. It's Kali Sadu, who's also quite an accomplished uh, UK player. Okay, yeah, I don't know that name. Okay. But, all right, so I'll pretend to be Kali Sorry about that. Sadu. All right, just so that whole preamble about you being Shannon Shore. I'm like, oh, no way, he just opens. It's not him who actually faces off again. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little disappointed. It was fun being Shannon Shore for a minute. Well, you can be Shannon Shore for the very first action <laughs> in the sand. You have pocket twos in the hijack. Okay, I'm going to open this for sure, maybe like a little min raise. That's right. He does min-ish raise. The blinds now are at 40,000, 80,000 with an 80K big blind ante. Let's so go ahead and make it 180 for fun. He makes it 165. Okay, that's a min. All right. Yeah, all right, good. Cully Sadu, who's going to be you, uh-huh. has king 10 of diamonds. On the button. Uh, in, in the small blind. Okay. Now, against Shannon Shore's open, what is my stack here? 
Your stack is, you've got about 50 bags. Okay. So that's what, 400? Yes. Four million. Four, that's what I meant, four million. So, uh, I mean, I, maybe I'm too tight, but I would probably just fold. But obviously, we're not going to fold because I'm going to be this You're guy. In the hand, yeah. yeah, so I guess if I have to play it, then a calling is fine and raising is also fine. And this wild gentleman is in the big blind? Correct. I think that's a case for three betting, actually, because I would probably rather just not have to deal with him with a hand as marginal as King-10. Which I think all of this means that in, what's my name again? Sully? Su- Cully. Cully Sadu, yeah. In Cully's shoes, I think I would just fold the King-10 yeah. suited, but I'm assuming he called. He does call. That's a great assumption. Here's something I want to bring up. You saying you would fold? The entire course of this tournament, luckily we were in the booth with uh, Finton and Spraggy a lot of the time, two professional players, and I was like, can we just fold this? And they're like, oh, not really. And like, can we just fold this? How about we just fold? And like, I'm a. It turns out I'm a knit. Yeah, I'm a super nitty player because I mean, anyone who listens to this show knows I'm not. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, the, so that's not even nitty to fold king ten of diamonds there. But well, I guess maybe I'm nitty in the sense that I don't like to be in the small blind, especially calling. I'm super nitty in the small and big blinds, and yeah. apparently you're supposed to call. You're supposed to defend like everything now, and almost. Almost both spots, so... Well, that might be kind of generally true, but I think there's still a strong case to be made for folding, and it's that we have this wild card yeah. in the big blind, and if we're not going to three-bet, we're basically opening ourselves up to a squeeze all the time that we're not going to be able to call. Not with 50 big blinds, not when he puts in a big Okay, so squeeze. contextually, what you wouldn't know, and I'm not even thinking about it until now, is our guy wasn't putting in tons of chips pre-flop. Okay, all right. It was post-flop that it he was, was just like, sort of yeah. getting getting weird. Okay, so once he decided to enter a pot, he just was willing to... He did to, not give up a yeah, lot of Yeah, okay, yeah. I got it. Well, even still, I think it's a marginal call, even if Spraggy disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kali Sidhu does call the King Ten of Diamonds, and Balakrishna Batur, we're not going to say what he has, but he also calls okay, from so, the big blind. So three of us are going to see the flop. Hero holding King Ten of Diamonds. Correct. And then we know one of the other hands is pocket deuces. Right, right. We did mention that. It's not going to turn out to be a thing. So the the flop comes Ace of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs, Seven of Diamonds. Okay, this is a really good flop. We now have a gut shot and a flush draw. Uh, You know, it's one of the best flops for my hand that doesn't include a pair. Um, Because I didn't take the lead pre-flop, which I probably would have if I were forced to play the hand again, Mm -hmm. Um, but because I played passively pre-flop, and now I'm out of position with this beautiful draw. I think I'm going to be looking to check raise, hoping that Shannon Shore has something and wants to bet it. So, yeah, I'm going to check. Cully checks. Batur checks. Shore checks. Yeah. Well, we now know he has deuces. He's never betting that. Hand. Right. Yeah. The turn is the seven of clubs. So now there's two diamonds, two clubs, and the board's paired. Okay. So, yeah, the paired board is even is not what we wanted to see. I mean, it makes things a little dicier, but the fact that no one bet the flop, I think that my outs are all live, like 90% of the time. Sure. Anybody who flopped a set on this board probably would have bet it. So, uh, I'm happy just checking again. If you told me you put out a little bet just to kind of control the amount that we have to put in to see the river, that's fine. Like a little defensive, like, you know, what we used to call blocking bet. That's okay. A pro bet, as some players would call it, is totally fine with me, but... All things considered, I'm probably just going to check and now probably not raise. Cully Sadu agrees with you. Cully checks 
Now, Pateur bets 325000 Into a pot of... There were three of you pre-flopping at 165, so it's pretty chunky. Yeah, it's it's a it's a healthy bet. It's, it's over not, half pot. Yeah, but not over three quarters, somewhere between. So at this point, Shannon folds. Yeah, and I should not have revealed the pocket deuces, but pocket That's deuces okay. are gone now. That's fine. Uh, and you, yeah, as Cully, I would just call. I mean, I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I mean, I could raise. There is a case. For raising, I still have plenty of equity, lots of outs. And remember, I, your your stack is kind of awkward. Too, that's what though. I was going to say. Like we're starting with fifty bigs. Um, if if he re-raises, it's just such a disaster. And if I've watched the way he's been playing post flop in other hands, I think it leans it towards just calling. Because if I check raise him and he shoves, I I I hate to fold a hand with so much equity, but I also hate to call knowing that I probably have to hit to win. So, yeah, I think against players like this, you just have to be kind of passive and hope to make your hand. He's not a guy who would try to bluff with a check raise here. And that also kind of reinforces the case for folding pre-flop. If we can flop this good and still have to play this handcuff, That's a great point. Maybe we should have just folded a long time that's a, ago. It's a hell of a point. Yeah. Um, well, as is often the case in life, Clayton... The river card partially answers your prayers in the form of the king of hearts. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, making a pair on the end is not even great. You know, not with the ace out there. And yeah, it's and the paired board. It's uh, yeah, this sucks. I mean, I'm glad that I have a king. I'm not hoping to see a large bet on the end. I'm not going to make a bet myself because I probably can't get called by much worse. What's the middle card on the flop? Sorry. There's uh, ace, jack, seven. Yeah, so seven, like, yeah, eight. I can get value from a jack, right? And I can beat that now. It's too thin. I'm not going to bet. I'm going to check and hope that my opponent doesn't go all in. <laughs> well, Clayton, unfortunately, <laughs> kind of saw this. While Krishna Batur rips it in for five point seven million, wow. you have three point two million behind. So with, he's put in like a, five times the pot. Yeah, with an eighty k big blind. So oh, and you have three point two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he just ripped it in for like four times or five times the pot. Um, and I just have a king, which I know is probably good. I just want to contextually remind you of the last hand. Right, right, saw. yeah. So, you know, having seen that, it makes it a little tempting, which is why I hate having this hand out of position against this opponent, which is why I wanted to fold before, because you get into <laughs> right. these kind of spots, and then you just have to, like, guess. I mean, I know when I fold, I'm going to be folding the winner a lot. But I also know that even a maniac has a hand sometimes, and if he plays his, you know, pocket nines the way he played them earlier, then he, he could probably play other hands this way. And I, I could probably be calling with the worst hand sometimes. Uh, he could have a seven. Why can't he have a seven? Of course he can have a seven. It's just my hand needs to be good so often to make this call profitable. I'm just going to lay it down. You know what, dude? You can keep going all in. I'll wait till I have something stronger than a king, and I'll, I'll get you then. So I fold. Well, Clayton, you are right, <laughs> but only half right, <laughs> because our friend Balakrishna Patur <laughs> held king queen. Oh, so I would have been beat. <laughs> no, you were oh, chopping. No. Oh, right, right, right. Because it was a paired board with the ace kicker. Okay, yeah. So he blows me off a chop here. Yeah, which, again, there's absolutely no reason for him to shove with the nines. And there's, again, no reason for him to shove. 
With very the, risky. Yeah. I mean, he blows you up for chop some of the time, right. and a lot of the time he just gets completely snapped, I think, by a hand that just can't fold at that point. Yeah, I mean, in his shoes, it's risky, but we've already established he doesn't right. really think about how much risk he's putting his big stack at you know in when he makes these crazy plays. So now we just have to think about it from... You know, our perspective as the UK pro, like, I think, I know a lot of respected players are calling a lot with these kind of suited Broadway, we used to call these trap hands, hands like King 10, Queen 10, like they're hands that like when you flop a pair, you're kind of happy, but you might be trapped by... Every time you're facing three streets, you're just like, what am I supposed to do now? You're just losing to all value hands at that point. Right, and so then you're basically turning what you thought was a pretty strong hand on the flop has now become nothing more than a bluff catcher. And when I'm out of position, I just don't like to be in those spots. And, you know, the conventional wisdom back in the day before computers allegedly solved No Limit Hold'em was that smart players didn't get into these spots with the small blind or the big blind and uh, you know just not getting involved in the hand like you do have the right to fold it cannot be a big mistake for you to fold before the flop Um, it's uh, if you if you fold every time you have king 10 in the small blind to any raise for the rest of your poker life how many big blinds are you losing in the next 40 to 50 years of playing poker. Maybe seven. Not that many. Right? Yeah, no, it's like, it's pretty safe. <laughs> like, look, you're never going to be the guy that, like, fights for every pot in the super high roller playing that way. But, like, it's pretty solid. You're just going to be solid. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, we always used to say you want to be in position. You want to have superior hands in position against inferior opponents. And that's where the money comes from. Now, I think three betting there is fine, too. Yeah, but, I prefer three betting to calling. Yeah. Um, so here's something because we're on radio, Clayton. I want you to explain to people what I'm gonna what I'm doing okay. right now as All I right, say cool. this. There's, I'll tell you something. The computers haven't solved this. <laughs> He's pointing at his heart, they ladies and gentlemen. This, and they haven't solved this. <laughs> He's pointing at another part of his body. That's now. <laughs> right. I like to see a computer solve this right here. I'm really glad you did that and had me do like charades with you. That was good. You have to talk it out. It's radio. You have to paint paint a word picture. That's why you make the big bucks. But anyway, this dude was so much fun to watch. Of course. And he made it, ends up making it to the, uh, I think he finishes in 20 something place. He does it to Haxton later. And there's this guy named Jerry O'Dean, um, who is a really strong European player, did it to him twice. Did the exact same thing to him twice. And then what I said, on the broadcast, which um, sounds like I'm just doing one of those sort of like cliche, um, infallible logic statements was this, is that what this dude's doing is going to work 100% of the time until it doesn't. Right, which is, yeah, as you say, like something that they say a lot when you go all in a lot, people say it works every time but the last time, right? Right. It's kind of like the conventional like poker saying, if you will. But it is true, and that's why I think... I'm pretty happy to fold my king 10. I mean, maybe if I would have like seen the cards and realized that it's a chop against any other king. But I just, I don't know. Because we know this guy is going to play pretty much every hand all in after the flop. Um, if, you can't, if you can't determine based on his past behavior or current behavior 
whether he's bluffing or value betting or what hands he even considers to be a value hand. Like in that case, like I don't know if he was bluffing or value betting a king. Same with the nines. Like, is right. he bluffing or value betting? Is and he- so when you don't, when you can't put your opponent on that, it's impossible to really figure out where you're at in that spot. He could have been, he could have been value ripping in an ace there, which is not really a spot for that. I don't think. I don't think so either. And also, I'm glad that we didn't bet the river because you know I said maybe we could like try to get value from a jack or some other thin value like that. Um, I, I'm glad we didn't do that because in the if you remember in the nines hand his opponent does bet and he actually shoves all in over top of a bet so we would definitely end up having to just fold you just lose more you're just gonna lose more in that case so you know he could just blow me off a chop i think if i get to play at this table with this guy for the rest of the day um at some point it's gonna be a, a spot where i'm more certain and that i don't have to put all my chips in in order to double up through him i mean i just feel like this is a little too it's a little too iffy he could have a seven is the problem. He probably doesn't have an ace. He would have bet it on the flop. But I'm actually surprised he has a king because he flopped a king. And... No, no king till the river. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, There's no. a gut shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no, right. So, he has a gut shot also, right? You know, that's fine. He doesn't bet that. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, right. We river our king, right? Okay, so, yeah, I think against a guy like this, I'm going to be patient. If I know he's going to make these kind of egregious, like, four and five times the pot mistakes... I'm going to wait until I have something closer to the nuts myself right. to check and call him. And what I will say is this. That watching him for two or three days, I didn't get to see his bust-out hand because it happened off the feature table. Yeah. But every time he was up against the nuts or like a nutted hand, he would check back. He would give up. <laughs> he would check back. He was he was like, or he was just checking, he was checking back like top pairs and like bad straights and stuff. It was like, it was insane, and that's is he why, crazy or is he a genius? Right, and that's why I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to. The same way, I won't automatically assume the guy who pushes cards forward meant to angle shoot. I will not assume that just because I don't understand this guy's play that he doesn't understand it. Right, right. Maybe he's on another level that we don't even get, and maybe he's kind of playing in a way that he knows. You know, in this day and age. So many players are studying the game so hard and they're using solvers and they're figuring out theoretically what to do. You know, GTO, the T is for theory. So theory changes. Yeah. And theory can change if we change the game, if we start playing differently. You know, like many years ago, not that many years ago, about seven or eight years ago, uh, everybody was min raising everything. Like it was very rare to see a 3X open 3x is coming back and 3x is back but before that players were told when when 3x was kind of the standard back when you and i started three and maybe even 4x sometimes even 5x was standard um and we started mocking people who are doing 3x opens they became oh the target at the table this guy still opens he's 3X. still doing that right but you know in the early days we didn't defend our small blind, big blind, because the price was so bad because people were opening to three, four, or five times the big blind. Then when players started playing more online, it's just easier to click raise, and then you automatically min raise. Then it was like, well, no, you can't be folding any suited queen right? <laughs> in the big blind. Yeah, you got to play because yeah. you're King getting you a seven to one to call. Yeah, there. you got to play all these hands. But now as players are starting to open up, they're sizing again, and we're seeing more 3X, 4X, opens three and a half 
I, I was seeing some of that, especially before the uh, antis kicked in this summer, and I think players were still defending too much. So it's always a cat and mouse game. Like as the game evolves, we're trying to catch up to where we are. I want to ask you an anti question now. You are a very disciplined player in your life. You're really good at separating emotion from what's from doing the right thing, a wrong thing in a hand. Do you think that the big blind ante really works mentally the way it's supposed to? <laughs> Do you think that that person who puts out the big blind ante goes, well, I didn't pay ante for the last seven hands, so technically I've only put out one ante here. <laughs> or are they thinking, I just put out two big blinds and I've got way more to defend in this pot? Well, because... Yeah, I can't speak to how people think, but you do. That's one of the things you have to can figure you out. You separate it. Yeah, of course. Of course, like, you can. To me, like when I put it in, it's not part of the odds that I'm getting you know, because it's all of that money is already in the middle, whether it's right in front of me, sure, or one of them's in front of me and the other one's like a little bit further away yeah. from me in the middle <laughs> of the table. It's like they're not my chips anymore, no matter how you slice it. So feeling like you have to defend your blind is a little bit silly because what really what you need to think about is mathematically what is the I'm not defending price. just my blind I'm defending my blind and, and all of those all, antis all those I just put in that I just put in right <laughs> well you're not defending them so much that the fact that they're there whether they came out of your stack or a little bit of everyone's stack they're now in the pot so if someone opens you know like we said before if people are still doing a min raise now there's so much in the pot that I really have to call with virtually any two cards if you told me you always fold Jack Deuce, okay, I'm not going to argue with that. But you were probably technically priced into call with it and at least see if you can flop some huge monster with Jack Deuce. Um, yeah, but you know, for me, when I'm playing, I don't really look at it in terms of my chips. Like I was just kind of analyze what price am I getting on calling with this hand, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, because one of it's my blind, that gives me, you know, I only have to pay less because I already paid part of that but the stuff that's in the middle is the ante that's not even being contributed as far as what i'm calculating how much more to call what percentage of players would you say look at it that way and i'm not talking at ept main event level i'm right. talking about borgata this weekend right 500 dollars buy-in yeah, yeah what percentage of players are going to be looking at it the same way are they going to be looking as i'm in for 3200 this hand yeah instead of 16 about 50 percent right yeah about 50 percent are looking at it the wrong way yeah, or they're just not, they're thinking about more than just what price am I getting because they don't like to leave their babies out there to die exactly. or whatever. That was another expression we used to use. Don't like to let my children drown. <laughs> <laughs> I left them out there to drown. I can't do that. I have to defend them. Yeah. Yeah. All these, like, you know, there's so much live or die in poker. I love it. Same in comedy, though. You know, we bomb or we kill, we crush. There's always some kind of murdered violence. It. Yeah, we murdered it. <laughs> I died out there. Yeah, I was dying and bombing left and right. Um, so where can people watch this? Can, can we still watch that uh, Barcelona? Yes, the Barcelona live streams are up on YouTube right now if, you want, if you're one of the purists that likes to watch a whole live stream. I would say there's pretty entertaining poker throughout, uh, especially day four or five. And the final table, we got to heads up in 20 hands. Holy moly, we that's incredible. We went from six to heads up in 20 hands. When's the last time we saw that? Never. It was the fastest we've ever gotten to heads up. And the heads up did not take super long either. We actually were out of the, the on the final day in Barcelona when it was still daylight, which is wonderful. It was maybe the only time that's ever happened in my and entire you didn't just go back career. to your hotel room no, and drink we, water? we went out to dinner in the Gothic <laughs> Quarter. I had a real dinner. I Amazing. ate tapas. I had a margarita. It was wonderful. 
Um, so those are still up on YouTube. What will happen eventually is they will cut them down and make sort of a highlight reel out of them if you're not the kind of person that loves watching hours and hours of live poker. Um, so, yeah, th- those are both still available. Cool. And uh, what about your podcast with James Hardigan? Is that still going? Yeah, Poker in the Ears is back for, its, I don't know if it's third or fourth season or whatever. Um, we just did our first two episodes of post-WSOP. We usually take a break, let Vegas have its thing. Um, we did two episodes. We took two weeks off for Barcelona. We'll be back next Thursday. Uh, you can get it in, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, probably all the same places your folks get it from. Thank you for asking. Uh, and if I could plug my, uh, I've got, I've been, we did that Gavin Smith Memorial uh, comedy show in Yeah, Vegas. back in May. Yeah, yeah and the mm-hmm. owner of the club um, loved the turnout and loved having comedy there and approached me and Ben Ludlow about doing a monthly comedy night in Las Vegas. Our first one is September 13th. I think the owner's pretty committed to doing it, but hey, if we sell out the first one, it really helps us with doing future ones. So if any of your listeners are in Vegas on September 13th, uh, the Space LV website, you can get your tickets on. I'll be performing. I think I'm going to host um, just for the first one. I wanted to get your opinion on this, actually. I was like, do I do a spot? Do I make myself the headliner? I was like, I think it's better if I just host and sort of because it's well, a hard the host job. is really important so if you're not hosting you need to make sure whoever is is really solid exactly and i thought it was just kind of like egomaniacal to like make myself the headliner for the first one and then maybe put someone in a hosting spot that like i'm not the most experienced host for comedy nights but i'm an experienced host in general yeah. i was like you know i'll take that responsibility no, you're really good at it yeah you should do that yeah yeah okay cool um so yeah so i'll be hosting ben will be performing and uh we've we're, i'm bringing out two really great comics from la the other guy who opens for norm his name's uh jeremy mckiernan is going to come out my friend sarah lawrence and then we're going to have great la vegas comics basically split the bill every month and we're gonna have clayton on in uh, november right? a new york comic new yeah york comic. i'll be there november 21st i want to say november that tw- friday is november right? 21st yep yeah. that's our uh, that'll be the last one for well, at least we don't have any schedule beyond that at this point but uh yeah so if you guys want to come out and see some comedy come support us we would really appreciate it and definitely follow him on your social media he's stapes on twitter insta stapes on instagram correct and uh, I don't know on Snapchat. <laughs> I don't do Snapchat anymore. I don't send my dick pictures of my dick to anyone anymore. That's good. That's why I stopped following you. All right. Well, uh, Joe, it's been a pleasure. I can't believe the time is up. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, man. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love uh, I love podcasts, and I love I genuinely love you, buddy. Give me thank you, give brother. me a little fist. I appreciate here. it. I love you too. So for Joe Stapleton, for James Hardigan, for Daniel Negreanu. Uh, for what's that weird name the, the guy that played Balakrishna Pator <laughs> for Balakrishna Pator and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge I'm Clayton Fletcher thank you guys so much for listening
done And baby, when it's loving, it's not rough It isn't fun, fun Oh, 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 oh get a heart, show her what I got Oh, 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 oh get a heart, show her what I got